Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Moon Knight's debut on Disney Plus has finally arrived. And obviously, on today's episode of Night Night Spectre, we have to take this opportunity to dive into what happened and what our reactions to finally seeing the fist of Kanchu on screen are. Bum, 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 bum. Music. Welcome to Night Night Spectre, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and splintered mind of Moon Knight. I'm your host, Elizabeth. And I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the show. Moon Knight is finally here, and we couldn't be more excited about this. As a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, we've been we've watched the first episode a few times over. Yes, because it was fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, we had we had to get more more than one one run through in. Since this is our first episode covering actual Disney Plus Moon Knight content, we want to give you an idea of what to expect. First, we'll do an overview of the episode, followed by our thoughts of the overall episode, and then some notable quotes we found interesting, and we'll finally wrap up the episode with some burning questions and our, and our thoughts. All right, but before we do that, here's a little housekeeping. We would love to hear from our listeners, so email us at nightnightspecter at gmail.com, and that is N-I-G-H-T. K-N-I-G-H-T-S-P-E-C-T-O-R at gmail.com with your thoughts and questions. And you actually might see them appear on a future episode of Night Night Spectre. Absolutely. And you can find Lawrence at produced by underscore LK on Twitter and Twitch. You can find Elizabeth at It's Rizbiff on Instagram and Twitter. That's I-T-S-R-I-Z-B-I-F. And of course, you can connect with the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter at Lore underscore party. So before we get started, one thing that we want to touch on is that there may be some spoilers for those of you who have yet to watch the episode. Maybe. (laughs) There Uh, will be. (laughs) Yes, there will definitely be some spoilers like right after this for those of you who have not watched the first episode. So before we dive in, if you haven't seen The Goldfish Problem, which is the name of the first episode... Maybe take a pause, go watch it, and then come back to the podcast because, you know, we'll we'll be here. Yeah. It's it's recorded. It's not live. So we'll definitely be here. <laughs> We're not doing this live. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that you have been officially warned, let's get into it. Awesome. So first off, I kind of want to mention the little, the little summary that we get from Disney Plus on what the episode is about states that. Stephen Grant learns that he may be a superhero, but may also share a body with a ruthless mercenary, which I would actually argue is not really what Stephen Grant learns in this episode. What he does learn is that 
the lengths that he's taking to keep himself in his apartment or identify if he leaves his apartment when he sleeps are definitely not working. Sometimes when he passes out, he wakes up and has severely hurt people or stolen objects important to others. And that Arthur Harrow has the ability to kill people based off of whether they are a good person or a bad person, passing or failing the judgment of a moot. In this episode, we're mainly introduced to Stephen Grant and Arthur Harrow. We're shown that Stephen, a museum gift shop employee, LOL. Not a billionaire. Yeah. Timid museum gift shop employee. Yeah. Is completely unaware of the gravity of why he tends to wake up in different places and has missing gaps of time in his life. And that this problem is definitely messing up any chance he has of a dating life, even looking like he does. Looking like Oscar Isaac, having zero dates. <laughs> sad. While very well versed in Egyptian mythology, Stephen is not aware of his connection to Kanchu or Mark. So the turning point in this episode is when Stephen wakes up and the Alps face down in the grass, confused, realizing that there are people with guns after him because unbeknownst to him, he has stolen a scarab. So running to the nearby village for safety, we see Arthur as this worshipped man who judges people in Amit's name to see if they're good or bad and reacts accordingly, embracing the good while killing the bad. Stephen tries to escape the village unknowingly with the help of Mark while hearing insults thrown at him from the voice of Kanchu, which was kind of a surprise for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kanchu berates him for being a weak idiot. Just when it seems that Stephen has been caught, logs roll down the hill, crushing the gunman and what appears to be Stephen as well. Stephen then awakes in his bed, relieved that what has happened seems to be a dream. However, <laughs> after realizing that his one finned fish, Gus, now has two fins, he then finds he's missed his date with Dylan because it is Sunday and not Friday like he thought. Stephen continues his weird evening by finding a cell phone and a key hidden in the wall of his flat and experiencing earthquake-like shakes of the building. Kanchu appears to Stephen, and as Stephen screams, he wakes up on the bus going to work. Arthur shows up at the museum that Stephen works at, confirming for Stephen that what he went through was in fact not a dream. Arthur confronts Stephen about the scarab, claiming it to belong to Ahmet. Stephen refers to Ahmet as the world's first boogeyman. Arthur clarifies that she was only the boogeyman for evildoers. Then, failing to pass judgment on Stephen, a confused Arthur says the line that we know all too well from the trailers, there is chaos in you. After fleeing from Arthur at the first chance Stephen gets, he finishes up his work for the day, somehow decides to be dedicated to his job. Because you know what? I've got a job to do. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) He's then attacked by a creature sent by Arthur. Mark is able to convince Stephen to let him take over assuring him that he's not going to die. Once Stephen accepts the help, Egyptian hieroglyphics flash on the wall of the bathroom and the Moon Knight suit starts to emerge as the creature tackles him. Then the next thing we know, a sink is thrown against the wall. The creature tries to get away, but is drugged back and beaten to death by Moon Knight. And the episode ends as we stare into the masked face of Moon Knight. Yay! So obviously, obviously there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. As far as like episode summaries go, we're pretty detailed in this, but I think it's important that we like cover all of that just to make sure that you're all like, we're all on the same page. Yeah. And 
we have up until this point, just so the viewers know, we have refrained from talking about the episode as much as possible <laughs> so that we could have this conversation now. Yeah, so. this is this is going to be a genuine conversation. Every time we would say something, I'd be like, nope, save it for the recording. So let the floodgates open. So overall, I liked it a lot. I think looking at it from the perspective of someone who does have knowledge of Moon Knight going into this, there's enough newness to keep me interested and enough nods to the comics that I'm not concerned about where this is going. I know in previous episodes I've said I do not want a one-to-one Moon Knight like comic to TV screen situation, and that's obviously not what we're getting here. And then from an objective lens, had I gone into this not knowing anything about Moon Knight prior, this would definitely have been an episode that would have pulled me into this world. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I think the show drops fans off exactly where it should in the middle of a chaotic situation where we have little to no information about what's actually going on. Like if you're a seasoned Moon Knight fan, it's likely you'll you'll feel that same way. Like you know what you need to know, but you don't know what's going on now. And so it makes it all the more sweeter. But also new Moon Knight fans are Probably like somewhat confused, but at the same time, excited to see what comes out. Just based off of conversations I've had with people, they just were like, wow, I wasn't expecting this show to be like this. And I'm like, yes, I I am very happy. It is like Get to know Moon Knight. (laughs) Right. Like this show blended elements of mysticism, humor, and action in a near perfect fashion and beautifully wrapped it up with a look at our favorite specter of the night. Like I thought that ending was absolutely perfect. And I, for one, am excited to see how things progress and how the character development is going to shape Steven in this situation and Mark overall and possibly what other characters we're going to get introduced to. Hint, hint, Duchamp. Possibly. But one thing that um, we also want to take a look at is just some of our overall thoughts on the characters that were presented in the episode. Like the, the major focuses. Obviously, like there are some you know, hints to other characters and some minor revelations, but like, we're going to take a look at the meat. Yeah, we'll, f- we'll focus on the ones that were like legitimately a part of, not nods, just actually there. The well done center cuts, if you will. Oh my God, don't insult these characters like that. <laughs> <laughs> so Arthur Harrow is the first motherfucker we want to cover on this episode. Mainly because that's the, he's who we see just opening up into this episode. Yes, with man with his glass Birkenstocks, which I'll get into in a second. But first off, the first the first thing I want to say is Ethan Hawke is a very convincing cult leader. And I actually read an article this morning where he talked about, I think, like doing acid with Willem Dafoe and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> casual. Like, yeah, was, they like interviewed him and, and shit. But I was just like, yeah, you know, Ethan Hawke, very convincing cult leader from his outfit to his hair to like the shit he does. But, you know, we open up on... Ethan Hawke, our man, Arthur Harrow, taking a casual swig of water he put his finger in and then um, breaking the said glass, picking up his pair of Jesus sandals and sprinkling the glass in those. And at first glance, I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And, you know, I still think, wow, that's pretty crazy because man was walking around with glass shoes. But it's also like such a good introduction for him because Glass, the glass shoe, the glass in the shoes is a form of like self mutilation, which is common amongst like religious zealots. It's a sign of commitment to a righteous cause and his devotion to Amit and a world cleansed of sinners. 
And I think like we really with the tidbits for of Arthur that we get, we show that he is not going to basically fulfill the or like I feel like he's not doing the trope that you see when it comes to a lot of religious zealots where they're in it for their themselves. Yeah. Like he seems to be very devoted to this cause. This is further showcased when Stephen tells him he doesn't have his beetle, which Arthur responds, it isn't mine. It belongs to Amit. This shows his devotion to being a sort of herald in his own way to this God and the greater cause. You know, while it's menacing, it's a good depiction of someone in his position. He's essentially trying to be a vessel for a God's will instead of wanting to be a God himself. Yeah. Which brilliantly is captured in this episode. Like even while using his abilities, and killing people, he's not passing judgment on anyone. Yeah, like when the the old woman is like, I've been good all my life. He doesn't, he, he validates her feelings. Like, I'm, I 100% believe you. It seems super genuine. He's like, it's probably something in your future that we, we don't know about. Right, because Ahmet judges past, present, and future. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, he's not, he's not out here like, haha, lion jackass and then gonna burn in hell for lying to me or some shit he's just a truly a person that carries out god's well Ahmet's will yeah as, as far as we know at this point everything seems super genuine to him and it it's not a selfish cause he's not like do putting on this front so that he can like squeeze money out of people or something like that and he can elevate himself in other ways it seems like he legitimately is like i want to make the world a better place so i'm going to do it through Amit instead of through whatever other way. Like, this seems like a the, the best course of action to make the world a better place. You want to know how you would really show your commitment to the cause? You should have put Legos in his sandals. <laughs> and walked around in those all day. Glass? What about Legos? Yeah, that would have been. Let's see how committed to this cause you are. Walk around that town with some Lego Birkenstocks on. That's the, that's the thing that he won't do. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's no, what, no, no. I actually, you know what? I can't do this anymore, guys. I can't do Legos in the shoes. Glass, give me all the glass you need. And, you know, even in the episode, it is briefly mentioned that he has some inkling of knowledge about Mark. As yeah. As he calls Stephen the mercenary. Oh, yeah, you're that mercenary. Then there was another scene when they're in the museum and he mentioned something about... Oh, I thought it was an alias. Yeah, and he realizes that, oh, no, you're actually, you actually think you're Stephen. So that was that was a little bit interesting. Speaking of Stephen. Where to begin? Where to begin with Stephen Grant? So obviously we've already mentioned the fact that they've kept like his kind of personality of him being like the nonviolent, like timid one, but they definitely, I mean, obviously Oscar has kept his good looks, but gave him a gift shop job rather than being any sort of millionaire playboy suave man shooting movies or something. Basically, they stole my man's whole drip. <laughs> They stole all of his drip. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, besides, you can't. I mean, you can't take away Oscar Isaac's looks, you but can't. like, they took away like ninety percent of this man's drip. He's got his looks. He does not have the moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's it's pretty bad. I do like though that they gave him like he's super interested. Whether that is just because whether he has like a genuine interest or whether it is because he's got to read something while he's trying to keep himself awake. He has such a good knowledge of Egyptian mythology. Yeah. Going off of the fact that this man has no moves, I thought it was interesting that when 
he is confronted by Arthur in the museum. He's like, I don't have your beetle. Yeah. When I know that Stephen knows it's a scarab. Yeah. I know he knows exactly what that is. And he's, I don't think he's smooth enough to like, be like, oh, you're beetle. Like as like to be like, oh, I know, I don't know anything about this or like to throw him off. Especially since he's like, oh, I don't want to like offend your marketing team, but there are definitely nine deities in this and not seven. Yeah. It, it's like, when he's nervous and trying to to get Arthur away, he just is, is like, "Listen, man, I don't have this thingy." And it's like he's like trying to uh, to downplay the significance, yeah, and try to make himself look dumber than what he is. It's like I don't know what you're talking about. I'm yeah. not the guy. And like I totally like a hundred percent believe that that's probably what it is. But a part of me is like, would Steve would Stephen have the foresight to do that? <laughs> I feel like Steven is just like, holy crap, man. He seems like one of those guys that would put his knowledge of a subject before his pride. <laughs> True. I would, yeah, definitely. You know, I can't help but feel sorry for him as a poor, dumb, handsome man that doesn't want any trouble. Yeah, I, I do feel super sorry for him. He's just being thrown into these situations that he's not really prepared for at all in any capacity. And also just like, why are we getting this man dates and then not taking his, this man on dates? Why are we doing this to this man? I mean, whichever alter smoothed out that date for him, thumbs up to you for looking out. I mean, probably Jake. But Pro- like, probably Jake. Probably, yeah, probably Jake. Jake. Jake definitely seems like a dude who would get a date and then not care to follow through. <laughs> Definitely. Not that Mark probably wouldn't do that same thing, but I mean, we're going to point fingers. <laughs> but it's like, you know, he spends the majority of the episode either getting ridiculed or scared shitless. Right. And like while being totally left in the dark, like one of my favorite things about Steven in this episode was the fact that Mark and possibly Jake and Kanchu really wanted Steve to stay out of out of things. Like when he got closer to the truth, it was like, eh, stop. Yeah. Like you're the you're you're not that guy. <laughs> you're, you're not that guy, pal. At the same time, you also have, you know, Kanchu just being like, oh God, the idiots here. Yeah. Swap sw- swap out. The idiots in control. I'm just like, my guy. I'm yeah. so sorry for you. Though I wanted to mention the whole like, did he just throw the gun? But yes. <laughs> in the van sequence because I think that is like peak Stephen Green. He's like, I do not want anything to do with this. No. And just throws this gun. Like, what? The more he blanked out, the more people he killed, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. But yeah, him just chucking a gun at a car window was uh, probably one of my favorite things. And him apologizing for the cupcake. Like, I know you're trying to actively kill me, but I'm going to apologize to you for showing a cupcake in your face. And then I'm going to blank out and murder you and your body is going to fall into the street. Right. Right. And people are going to run it over. No cares. Yeah, that was interesting. But I think w- one thing that everybody will agree is our favorite scene was um, the two days late for your date at a steakhouse as a vegan scene where we all just felt so bad for this man. Very sad scene. Very funny scene. It was just like my favorite scene personally in the show because it was like it just shows how much this is starting to like impact his life. And honestly, it's just like it's the lowest moment. Man orders a steak, even though he's apparently a vegan and he ordered a well done steak. So I mean, I would argue that he didn't order the well done steak. I would <laughs> that waiter sabotage that if I'm going to be like, oh, very good. Well, that is not a very good steak. But ultimately, it feels like all Steven wants to do in this episode is talk to his mom, be a tour guide, and get a girlfriend, but life keeps smacking the pure fuck out of him. Absolutely. And we see in that scene at the restaurant, he's just like totally defeated. 
I feel. Man ain't got no fish. Man ain't got no girlfriend. I'm also just like, dude, you clearly have a smartphone. Did you not look at the date and time at all? <laughs> but like, it's just, yeah, this whole thing is definitely starting to, to, to truly get to, to Steven. But with that, the, the last character that we really want to cover, you know, for our overall thoughts is Conchu. <laughs> Which I think both of us, our first thing that we want to say was that voice is not what we were expecting. Yeah, I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> like I got used to it as the episode progressed and like obviously we we watched the episode more than once so like it wasn't as jarring the second time around but I was definitely not expecting like that deep voice it makes sense for a god to have a voice like that but just like matching up the aesthetic and just like I also just don't didn't expect him to be that tall but like you know oh absolutely yeah I was like oh that is just gonna be like hey you know we're looking eye to eye but especially since yeah like in the comics Conchu and and Mark are normally eye to eye in things like you said just like this big bird skull man towering over you but you know I I really love the fact that like Conchu was an absolute asshat (laughs) to Steven yeah, I love that we're digging and we're just like going into that. Like, Conchu doesn't give a single fuck about Stephen Grant because he's not helpful to the cause. Yeah, it was like, it just, oh God, the idiots in charge. <laughs> like, give up the body. Like, that was also how they're just basically playing, uh, like, hand me down with this body here. Like, yeah. it's just like, give up the body, man. You're not supposed to be here. Hey, the fact that he called him a parasite. Poor Stephen. Just trying to live his life. And then, like, you got to think, man wakes up in the Alps with a broken, well, with a, he was punched in the face a few times, a bleeding mouth. And then there is a giant chicken monster thing in his head calling him an idiot. He's and just he's going through a lot, man. Gets shot at. But, like, Conchu, I, I had honestly expected him to be a little bit more calmer. Like, I still felt like the authoritative presence was correct, but I always felt like his voice would be calmer. I did not expect to hear Conchu say that if you give up that scarab, I'll kill you and Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think based off of like some of the, the comic book runs, I would expect him to be like one of those people who's like very calm and threatening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that makes him all the more threatening because he is calm. But I still think it's going to work. Yeah, I appreciate the directness, and I also just appreciate that Kanchu doesn't need to feel the need to explain something to this guy who clearly doesn't know what the hell is going on at all. Right. Like, you literally know Steven has no idea what they're doing here, and he wakes up, and all he's like, switch the body out. And I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know how to do that. Right, exactly. But I want to say, too, that like I really do appreciate how Kanchu is being portrayed. I appreciate the subtleties, like Kanchu showing up at the elevator to scare Steven so they could just blip him back to his apartment and then on get him on the bus. And then watch him from the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, Kanchu's just watching him like, fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> just the menacing, like, 12-foot-tall uh, god of the moon just standing there on the street staring at you from right. a bus while you're on a bus. Absolutely fucking funny. But I think one thing that honestly sums up Kanchu in in this episode is when all you want is your scarab, but you constantly get stuck with a dude who can barely drive a cupcake truck. <laughs> that is such a cards against humanity card. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so like I'd be pretty upset myself if I was Kanchu. Yeah. 
Definitely. But you know what I'm not upset by? What? A word from our sponsors. We'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so now that we're back from our non-Kanchu-related sponsors, there are some cool character quotes that pop up in the episode that we wanted to go over. And spoiler alert, most of them are from Arthur, since he is the most poetic character in there because he is not a weenie, and he leads a cult, and he has glass in his shoes. You know what? Respect Stephen Grant. I mean, yeah, but Stephen Grant didn't have any... This, I, I will not stand for this Stephen disrespect on this podcast, Lawrence. Later's Gators is not a good quote. Later's Gators is great and not a quote that we're talking about, but I'm going to start using that. <laughs> no. The first... So the first quote uh, from Arthur that was really interesting was, The justice of Ahmet surveys the whole of our lives, past, present, and future. Which we talked about Arthur Harrow utilizing... Amat's powers to judge the souls of others. And, you know, consequently, you are killed when you are judged to be a sinner. Your life force is drained and you die. Yeah. I don't know why this quote stood out to me so much, but like after watching the episode a second time, it just really goes to highlight their cause. Like Arthur walks into this that town in the Alps and people are so dedicated to this, they line up to be judged, knowing the consequences could be death. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because these people want to be good. They yeah. want to cleanse the world of sin. And if they themselves are sinners, they f- feel that they should be cleansed. Yeah, like that That old woman, as soon as Arthur was like, sorry, sorry about it, she could have like, freaked out, ran away, like said, no, please, like, like begged him to not do anything. But instead she, she, she kind of let that happen. Like she didn't put up a fight as we would expect from someone who isn't fully dedicated to what Arthur's trying to do. And I feel like it's more of the, like, she was more afraid that she was judged to be, a, or more concerned that she was judged to be a sinner than the actual consequences of sinning itself. Which is such a testament to his his cult and you know this following. Like the first guy jumped up there immediately, you know. Hey, what a brave soul you are for coming up first. Because I'm telling you, I wouldn't accidentally be in the mountain cult, but I would be like, hey, we're judging souls today, Lawrence. You want to try? Maybe maybe tomorrow. I'll let someone else go first. You know, I want to be a good person and give some other people a chance. I'll go last. It's fine. But, you know, that that being said, the, the next quote pretty much comes like right after this scene in the show or like during the scene in the show. Yeah, I think it's it's right before he, he says the last quote that we talked about. Yeah. And it's like, would you wait to weed a garden until after the roses wither and die? Wait. Boom. Mic drop. Yes. It's like such a good culty justification of what they're doing, but it makes sense to, if you're looking for something in your life, this will make sense to you. This is definitely one of those quotes where you are like, you're an evil guy saying this shit, 
but I cannot disagree with you. Yeah, like, I'm over here like, my homeboy's got a point. There is a point to this. Maybe I don't agree with your methods in fulfilling what you're trying to talk about, but this is accurate. No, I'm not going to wait to weed my garden after the roses have died. Yeah, I'm like, damn. Man was spitting facts. Right. But, you know, at the same time. Killing people that haven't done anything as of yet. mm, We won't weigh the ethics of that, but. (laughs) And, And, you know, like, like. The, there's a funny thing because like he further goes to justify that by talking about the things that Ahmet could do if she wasn't imprisoned and it was like, you know, there would be no Holocaust. The Armenian genocide, which I was actually surprised that they mentioned that yeah. Pol Pot, like all of these horrible things that go along with that. It's like, you know, instead of, you know, trying to solve these problems after they've already erupted into this big thing. Why don't we prevent them from happening in the first place? And when you look at it like that, it's like, damn. Exactly. Facts. Another (laughs) thing, you're not incorrect. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I don't think that there's anybody, well, I don't think there's anybody in their right mind out there that would be like, yeah, we should still have these these events having had happened. Like, we'll still keep those on in the history books. If you had had the opportunity to stop a lot of people from being hurt in any way, I would assume the majority of the good people in this world would not want that to happen. Yeah, you'd have to be a Nazi or a genocider to probably be on the, you know, the dissenting side. Yeah, and I'm just, you know, Emmett can can take those guys away. We're we're good with that. (laughs) (laughs) In a perfect world, those guys wouldn't have an opinion. Truly. (laughs) (laughs) And so the final, like, this is more of a partial quote, uh, more of a summary of what was said. But the final thing we wanted to talk about was just, Amet was betrayed by other gods and her previous avatar. That point was very telling because what you would assume since they, you know, we talked about in our feature ad episode is that there's always a duality. There's like, there's a duality to everything. You would think that, oh, this man is obviously the avatar of Amet, but it does make it seem like he's working independently of Amet to become said avatar is the way I took that. Like, Ahmet had an avatar at one point, and that avatar realized that, you know, Ahmet was on that bullshit, trying to judge people before they did anything. Yeah. And gods and said avatar may have teamed up to imprison this god, and as a result, Arthur and Ahmet align with, you know, this, this, this uh, cleanse of... Human, the evils of humanity. So, like, he is working because he believes in Ahmet, not because that there is, I guess, something waiting for him, which I guess further, to me, further, um, like, makes his character more appealing. Like, he is very devote. He is yeah. just, he is, like, not a shitbag. I love it when you have a cult leader in a show that is actually believes the nonsense that they speak. Yeah, like, genuinely, which I'm can be also terrifying in and of itself. Yeah. You know, make them more menacing because what lengths will they go to 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 fulfill the things that they genuinely believe in? Because I think one thing I appreciate about Arthur Harrow is that he is actually a follower. Like he is not a leader of this cult. He is a follower of Amet. And that is was highlighted so nicely in this episode. Yeah, it definitely was. I do. I got to call it out. And at the, the last episode that we did, I said that. You know, I, d- I don't think that Marvel and Disney there are gonna, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender this. <laughs> and we got, 
I'm so happy that the universe clearly he- heard me say that and gave a reference back to me in the most appropriate way. <laughs> I also just love the amount of oh hi Mark yes. memes I've seen. So you know, I love it. I love it. It's like oh the blue people. Oh you wait the anime? Yes, yes. Take that Nickelodeon studios. <laughs> so you know that is also a good transition point good hard transition point to one of the next sections that we want to cover is our burning questions about the episode and the series overall because especially if you are seasoned moon night readers like us or even if you're new to the show there are some larger questions that the episode posits but there are also some smaller nuanced things that pop up that you you know may have not noticed so i'll tackle the first question that we have what mom is Steven talking to? And I say this because, you know, spoiler alert for people who aren't Moon Knight fans, Mark is the real person. Steven Grant is an alter of Mark. Whether or not that plays out this way, it should play out this way. Steven is Steven is is um, Mark's alter, not the other way around. Well, I guess technically it's the other way around, but Mark is the original person. And so like, that was one thing I'm wondering, like, what mom is Steven talking to? Like, he mentions that she sent him a postcard, but at the same time, he's always leaving messages and not actually talking to her. He also has a signature send-off, the later gators, later's gators that we talked about, um, which, the way Moon Knight is, I'm not taking anything for granted. So I'm like, later gators fits in here somewhere because... Um, I mean, if gator we, heads. Yeah, of, gator. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Ahmet is a god with a gator head. So the fact that we hear later gators twice, and Steven is the person that's in the center of all of this nonsense, seems to possibly mean something. But it also seems like his mom, in quotes, is always calling him, but he's always missing it. So. Yes, please. I'm open to your speculation because I'm like. So I've got two. Okay. One being, this is like Mark. He can never get a hold of his mom because his mom is Mark. It's just like clearly not the burner razor phone that we found in in the wall. Or my other thing is Mark in almost all of the runs has a therapist. So I feel like there is a possibility that the therapist could be mom. Yeah, therapist. Ahmet. Yeah, the, that was actually a thing. Like, the therapist was in one run portrayed as Ahmet when there was a very trippy retelling. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was wondering, honestly, if it's, like, a, a a nod to his therapist in the comics and if it's a nod to, like, somehow a different connection to Ahmet because we are missing several months' worth of, of uh, detail. Yeah. Because we, we've seen through the fish, through Gus being replaced, we'll, we'll assume that this two days in the Alps or whatever, no one fed Gus, he died. We'll, we'll make that assumption. We need to replace it. And Mark replaced said fish. Like, that is a very, like, I'm going to take care of Steven move. And so if Steve's gonna, he wants to maintain Steven's, Steven's world, doing that and, like, helping him and being, like, this fake mom for him just to like have someone that he can like talk to and so that Steven or Mark I guess also just like has a way to like help him when he's not active would make a little bit of sense to me obviously like 
we're all this is all speculation it could could be a therapist it could be like yeah, a no. character we've not even met yet. Yeah, no, what I'm saying is I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense because I think that one thing that they showcased in the episode is they were trying to show that they wanted to keep Steven in the dark. Like like it could honestly have something to do with with whatever Mark is doing over yeah. here. Um and Steven could be an alter that is just an excuse for like like he has no idea what mark is going on so it's the perfect excuse he's hiding in plain sight like he like like how um uh, arthur said like you actually work here yeah like it it seems like what steven is being used as as an alter is to be that scapegoat that person but like something is going wrong and steven keeps popping up and moments where he should shouldn't and then steven keeps seeing more of the stuff because like when he picked up the phone in the apartment and goes and looks in the bathroom mirror you know the voices are like yeah, put the put the phone back like yeah, yeah know about this like, like you know they even went as far as to try to get him a date they're trying to maintain a normal life for steven so i think that theory that it could be mark makes a lot of sense because honestly i would have probably just left the goldfish and been like damn but like mark even is resealing the door and tying his leg back in the thing to oh, yeah. give him the appearance that he's dreaming yeah, absolutely. Like there, it's. I also just thought it was funny because I'm like, like clearly he's unaware at this point that alters like are a thing. Like what was really happening. So when he was like sprinkling sand around his bed, I was like, I know if you're sleepwalking, I guess you may not be aware of your surroundings and could you know walk through the sand. But like that's not enough sand for not someone to not be able to just take a big step over you know like <laughs> yeah or just smooth it right or just know? smooth it down <laughs> like i'm just like man good you know good job but you're you're you think you have the the wrong condition you think you are sleepwalking yeah <laughs> which i mean like you, you can't blame him he doesn't have you know all the puzzle pieces so like, man, hey, this is in London. I'm like, go to a doctor. You guys have socialized medicine. This is in America. <laughs> like, you can actually, someone can help you find this out. <laughs> but our uh, next question is, so does Moon Knight have powers? Because we mentioned in our first episode how uh, our Moon Knight 101 episode, if you haven't listened to it, go take a listen to it because it's really good. But one of the things that we mentioned is Moon Knight has is powers and a lot of the things in Moon Knight are very ambiguous. Yeah. Like, it's never very clear if Moon Knight has powers or not. And in some runs, Moon Knight has had powers that have just gone away. But it seems very clear here that Moon Knight has powers in this retelling in the MCU. Because our biggest uh, hint is the fact that they're not putting on some tights one leg at a time in the back of a taxi. This motherfucker transformed into Moon Knight and then yeeted a monster into a bathroom and punched it to death. There's definitely some improved strength here. And obviously, like, you can't have a suit unfurl onto you and wrap around you without having some sort of, like, powers, mysticism, magic, whatever you want to call it, like, involved in, in this. Yeah. Man has the glowy eyes, too. Yes. The Avatar, the last airbender, glowy <laughs> eyes. Again, Drew's just going to make connections to the two from now on. <laughs> He's this Moon Knight is his avatar state. <laughs> but it was it was funny because they switched to Mark to become Moon Knight. Yeah. And so like part of me also wonders 
Can the Moon Knight powers only be invoked at night? And did the Moon Knight powers, were they invoked when he was escaping the Alps? Because like we see Stephen on the ground on the Alps, knocked out when he wakes up. He's like laying on the ground like he had jumped out the window or some shit or got chucked yeah. out. Yeah. But it's the daytime and he's like not moon night moon nighted up. Mm-hmm. But like then when where, you know, like he's blanking out and coming back and the more he's like blanking out and coming back, people are getting like fucked up. But at the same time, Mark is a mercenary. So like Mark has those skills to like totally wreck you. Yeah, regardless of what what form he is in. But I'm wondering if it's like is like are they relating the Moon Knight transformation to the fact that it's at night? Because they did focus in on the moon before they went into the museum. So I'm also wondering if his transformations are in response to the moon as well. Definitely could be. Which is like, he did have a power that was, he got stronger under a new moon or full moon or was it a new moon? It was just the, the moon in general. He had increased strength under the moon. Yeah. So maybe that's what we were seeing. Yeah. He got that moon juice and like totally beat up that person's dog. Yeah. But I think I think it's also interesting to think about like like what you said is Mark the only one who can conjure up the suit. Because yeah. in other like in the comics, we see Jake, he, you know, takes off the mask a little bit just so like we have that like visual change of like this isn't Mark anymore. Iron fist with it, where he just has the mask yeah, on the eyes. Yeah. So like he can be in the suit and he can take control and he can do these things. So I'm, I am curious to see if like Jake as an alter is just like that. Like Steven. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like Steven and just like serves this, like does whatever Jake needs to do to, to help Mark and conch you in there and whatever they're doing right now. <laughs> With his <laughs> wild ass. That's actually a good transition into our next question. Mm-hmm. Which is, was Jake in this episode? I say he was. Yeah. Um, for a few very unsupported reasons. Yeah, it's a super minor. Yeah, this is like very, very minor. The two reasons why I feel like Jake was in this episode was one, getting a date for Steven. And I and I <laughs> and I say that because he got a date for Steven who's a vegan at a steak restaurant. I don't think Mark would have done that. No, Mark we were would, talking about mom, mom, Mark. Yeah, Mark, would, <laughs> Mark wouldn't have done that. Mark would have gone to a date that makes sense. I feel like Steven is the type of character, if you look at the comic books, Steven is the character that's like, I got you an interaction with a hot woman. There you go, buddy. <laughs> also, he's probably like, what the fuck is a vegan? We don't do that. We eat meat over here. Honestly, though, I don't even think it was like, if it would have been Jake... That date wasn't for Steven. Yeah. That date was for Jake. That date was, <laughs> date was for Jake, and then he and then he missed it. And then he's right. It's like, oh, well. Right. The thing that has a little bit more, I guess, kind of detail to it is when Steven's nosy ass finds the burner razor phone, he goes to the bathroom because he hears Mark saying, like, Steven, Steven. And then they he looks in the mirror, but they don't turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. And the voice slightly changes. And it's telling him to, like, stop and like shakes his head yeah still kind of like the silhouette we don't see their face and we're those people that watch things with subtitles on and the yeah. the subtitle was like man's man. voice man voice or something like that and before when it mark it was mark it said mark so i felt like it was like jake popped in there for a second and was like knock it the fuck off don't keep looking you know like he was there to enforce that like you need to stay normal 
because the rest of us are handling this other shit. Like, we need someone here as, like, our alias. You can't be involved. Exactly. And there's also the, when they when Steven is going and searching for, you know, this dog's howling in the museum, that we get a clip of the re- reflection being doubled. Yeah. And they both slightly look in different directions. That part I didn't notice, but yeah, there's, was... defi- there's definitely two, and they both look at the, like, creature that's going after Steven. Yeah, they, like, it looks like the one in the back slightly turns his head more than the one in the front to actually position it. So it's, like, to me, it looked like it wasn't a reflection of that reflection. It was, like, a singular entity. Oh, and also, if it was just Mark, who also eventually popped up, why would there be two? Yeah, I don't think, even if, even if they both did the same head turn to me, I'm, like, it, the fact that they're showing two reflections is purposeful because in the bathroom it would still be the infinite mirror view because it had mirrors on both sides and they only showed mark so that's why i think yes jake was indeed in this episode he was in this episode yelling at steven getting a date to a steakhouse for himself possibly but you know passing it off as you know i, I hooked homeboy up I hooked <laughs> myself up you know th- there's a lot to be said about that but moving on to our next question is What is the connection between Arthur and Mark? Because there clearly is one. Yeah, Arthur is clearly very aware of of Mark as a mercenary. If just, like, generally as a mercenary, but there has to be... You're not going to recognize someone who's supposed to be a mercenary that is, like, killing bad guys for money if you are not in that same circle of people. Yeah. You know? And to just refer to him as the mercenary means that they've seen face-to-face. Yeah. So whatever in our like, you know, time skip or blank area, these two somehow came across each other, whether it was the exchange with the um, scarab that they mentioned or something different. It seems as though those two, they know each other. And also, I wonder because he didn't know Mark's name, but Stephen gave up his name because he's scared little man child. He gave up his name in the Alps yeah. and they looked up Stephen Grant and that's how they found him in the museum. And he was like, oh, this wasn't it. I thought this was an alias. It was actually you. Like he was surprised. Like you gave me your real identity. So he may just be aware of the mercenary part and not Mark specifically. Yeah. He may think that this mercenary is named Stephen Grant, which is LOL laughable. Right. There is definitely a connection there, and I think we'll get more information in our future episodes of, like, how exactly did Arthur Harrow and Mark come across one another? There, I mean, there is the obvious mercenary connection, but there is probably, like, a deeper Egyptian mythical angle to it. Absolutely. And I think for, like, a final question that we have, why did Frenchie only call once? <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you're a seasoned reader, when you see Layla called like 40 bajillion times and you see the Duchamp, that was Frenchie. Where's Frenchie? Why did he only call once? Does Frenchie not care about Mark in this universe? They're supposed to be best buds. Layla. I, I truly feel like Layla is just like freaking out and is like, please call him. He's not answering me. And Frenchie's like, Mark's going to do what Mark's going to do. He's going to be fine. I'm not worried about this man, but I'll call him once just to just to see if he answers me and not you, Layla. And I honestly will say, like, if we want to dive deeply into it, it can honestly showcase how long Mark has been Moon Knight. Yeah. Because we know we're not at an origin point. There's no Bushman. There's no nothing. It seems like Mark is well versed with these powers. Mm-hmm. And it could be that Frenchie is like, 
I've been around Marcus Moon Knight for a long time. This kind of shit happens. Yeah, like He's I'm not fine. worried about this. The man disappears sometimes. It's just what it is. Where Layla might just be motherfucking new. Which it seems like, because there is never a Layla in these comics. So, yeah. We're thinking, like, maybe maybe Frenchie was just like, eh, I'll call once. He'll pick up Orimon. I don't know. Maybe the British guy will pick up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with that, that is a good transition over to some really quick final thoughts about the episode. I think mine is just, I'm looking forward to where this is going. I think, like, I've said it in, you know, beginning of this episode that... Coming into this, knowing Moon Knight, I was still intrigued. And I think for a lot of people coming in to this, not knowing very much about Moon Knight there, I've seen a lot of people on Reddit and in discords that we're both a part of that are like, I didn't really know anything about Moon Knight, but this is a really good show so far. Definitely. I would say that um, I'm super excited. This is like a great Marvel show. And this is such a great introduction for a character that not a lot of people know about. Like this was such a Fan, this was fantastic planning. Drop us in the middle, you know, drop us in the middle of the chaos, and we don't know what's going on, but it's dark, it's funny, it's brutal, it's everything that is like essentially comic book Moon Knight. And yeah. I loved it. We are learning about Mark and about Moon Knight and Kanju with Steven, and I think that's really good for those who who don't know. Yeah. And shout out to Oscar Isaac for like playing a part, a role right next to himself and doing it so well. Yeah. Like that it takes a lot of like acting talent to do this. And like, I got to say, the last thing is, you know, an episode is good when the only plot hole that I can think of is how the hell is Stephen Grant not getting any women looking like that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> biggest plot hole is that someone that looks like Oscar Isaac doesn't get dates question mark <laughs> right right that is the only that is my only detractor from this episode so it still gets a 12 out of 10 in my book <laughs> yeah e- even being timid and with the personality it has I you know what I'd still go on a date with Stephen Grant <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> And with that, this is the truth learned. That being Moon Knight is not a curse, nor a state of penance. It is simply who and what he was always meant to be. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you under the blue moon. Later, gators. Had to. Ha <laughs> ha.